gonna be in Isaiah 40. Um, as you turn there, just know it is Rick's plan. He'll, he will be back here Wednesday. So <clears throat> he won't have to look at this funny sandaled guy up on stage too long. <laughs> Isaiah 40. He's just not feeling well. It's not COVID, trust me. It's not that. But if you just lift him up in your prayers, um, that would be much appreciated. So as you turn there, I just, before we dig into the word, I want to give us some historical context to understand better just how relevant what we're going to read this morning is, how, how relevant it was to Judah at the time this was presented, and really how relevant it is to us now, because God's word is fresh, amen? amen? Well, in Isaiah's day, Judah was dealing with governmental turmoil and corruption. Sound familiar? Furthermore, part of this was due to others, na other nations' influence, like Assyria and Babylon, to name a couple. We've been hearing about other nations' collusion in our politics and our voting system. Rumors, gossip. Isaiah came when Judah was suffering through wars and rumors of wars. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 6, that you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. But hear what Jesus says. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. That's not the end. And it's certainly not the end for God's people. But like Judah, who'd grown spiritually apathetic to trusting in the Lord, indifferent, whatever. Many in the church today have too. Instead of listening to and living by God's, God's sound doctrine, his word, we're tickling our ears with pop culture quotes and scientific stats. America at large, I think all of us can agree, have, has been turning away from God's word. How many, how many of our church fellowships are just getting into God's word, listening to the heart of our Father, letting his spirit inspire our lives? Through his word, fewer and fewer listen to God's word and follow God's word. Instead, we've turned away from listening to his word to follow culture's fleeting philosophies. And man, are they fleeting. They come and go. They go as quickly as they come, which is, I think, part of the reason we're always trying to get to the next thing. We, we're always trying to advance, and, and this advancement seems to take fast. It happens faster and faster but because we can't keep up, because the world cannot keep up with the ills of our world, but God's word does. Interestingly enough, while Judah is dealing with the turmoil and the conflict within their own nation and threats from afar, many in Judah who had hope actually got it from charlatan prophets, as we see throughout the book of Isaiah. They fed the people lies that felt good, sounded good, ignoring completely the Lord's call to repent. Isaiah 28, 15, because you said, we've made a covenant with death, we've made a treaty, and with Sheol, the grave, we have made a pact, the overwhelming scourge will not reach us when it passes by, for we have made falsehood our refuge, and we have concealed ourselves with deception, trickery. 
Think about this in our day and age. How many gimmicks, advertisements, scientific discoveries promise us a life that will be longer? And there's even talk that we're still looking for and more promise today than yesterday that we might not have to ever die. Think about that. If it's of the flesh, does anyone remember that tagline? If it issues from the flesh, <laughs> profits nothing. What'd you say, Hillary? It's death. Death is in the flesh. So as much as we can make it look pretty and do things to extend the life of it, it will wear out. Imagine your body as a tent living through the storms of life. At some point, there are gonna be holes you just can't patch up. Rods that just won't hold up the tent anymore. Goes on, verse 18, your covenant with death will be canceled, God says, and your pact with Sheol, the grave, will not stand. Will not stand. We'll come back to that. Stand. What does stand? When the overwhelming scourge passes through, then you become its trampling place. Now, this seems hopeless. You're like, where's the word of comfort in this, Jake? Just hang with me. Judah's people were desperate for comforting hope. Again, not unlike today. They were aware that it would be difficult to resolve their political concerns completely. I think that's becoming more and more obvious to us. No matter what side of the aisle you stand on, you realize, is this system ever going to right itself? Isaiah 38 through 39 begins foreshadowing Babylon's rise to power in the east. While Judah was caught up in political power plays and coexisting with other idols, God's spiritual people, the ones who were still devoted to his word and listening to his spirit, they were caught up in the spiritual concerns of Yahweh. What are we being caught up in? That'll determine whether or not you're gonna experience comfort from God. The suffering servant is Yahweh's answer to their problems. We see in Isaiah 52, 13, and all the way through Isaiah 53. Yahweh's answer to Judah's problems was his suffering servant, which we know historically wouldn't come until hundreds of years later. Our nation today is in upheaval with many hoping against hope for things to ever get better. Where are we finding our emotional strength? What are we finding comfort in these days? Judah looked for it from gods and kings, and as we know from history, none of them, none of them worked in the long haul. Where are we looking and what or who are we searching for? What are, this morning as you came in, what are the things in your life right now that you're looking to for comfort? We're gonna pick up here in Isaiah chapter 40, and I'm just gonna read the first verse. There's a lot in verse one and two that stood out to me, so we're gonna spend a little time camping out in that. Right after this long <laughs> series, chapters throughout Isaiah of judgment, promising what's coming, warning the people, Isaiah 40, we see a change. We see a change, not in Judah, but God's word to them. Not that God's word changes, but he's promising something that's to come. For all of their problems, he has the answer. 
Isaiah 41, he says, comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Stop there. Comfort my people. I pray that God's word today comforts you because quite frankly and very honestly, it's been a comfort to me. And I know I'm preaching to the crowd, preaching to the choir. Emotionally, it's been like this for me. But I promise you, and I'm not saying this because it sounds good, the thing that has helped me level out, keep my keel where it needs to be so I don't tip over in the crazy storms of this world, has been his word. His word is an anchor for our soul. Isaiah 66, 12 gives us a good picture of what comfort looks like. For thus says the Lord, behold, I extend peace to her like a river. And you, think of, imagine this picture. You will be nursed, you will be carried on the hip. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. And you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Then you will see, and your heart will be glad and your bones will flourish like the new grass. It was a little while ago, but I remember Rick spending some time to show a distinction of what are markers that uh, reveal someone who truly believes in Jesus and has his spirit. And we always go to Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit. But as he showed us, and it's so simple, people who truly belong to the Lord and walk by the spirit of the Lord and follow his word, Walk with joy and gladness. How's your joy and your gladness this morning? It's interesting here that God portrays himself with a motherly tenderness. Now, God always refers to himself as he, but man and women were created in the image of God. He portrays himself to his people like a mother tenderly caring for her little child. We're talking toddler and younger reassuring her child. Paul repeats the same compassion towards the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 7. We prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. Why? Because you'd become dear to us. You are dear to Jesus. Don't forget that. It's okay to be sad. Did you know you can be sad and have joy at the same time? Isaiah 53 seems to say that. He was a man acquainted with our griefs, a man of sorrows, and yet the word also tell us, tells us he went to the cross, hating the shame, despising it to death, and yet he went to it for the joy set before him. This has been said recently. The joy set before him was the satisfaction of pleasing his father and all of you and me. You're his joy. We see over and over throughout scripture, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. We are his joy. We are his children. He longs to comfort us. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, not with indignation, but a broken heart because they didn't recognize the day that their God visited them the Prince of Peace, and so they missed out on it. And what came to Judah or Jerusalem not long after was total destruction because they wouldn't come under his wing. They wouldn't find refuge and comfort in his word. 
Paul comforted God's people with God's word. It's his word today that we're reading from, which reveals his heart to us. And God is true to his word. He does not break his promise. Paul comforted them because Paul himself rested in the comfort of God's word personally. That's the only reason I can bring this to you this morning. Because honestly, this is a word he spoke to me earlier this week. And it seemed to come out of the blue. What I share with you is something I'm experiencing personally right now. I'm walking it out. Here's your first point if you're taking notes. God's word comforts us in gentleness. In gentleness. He's gentle. That's also another fruit of the spirit. That's also a behavior that's characteristic of someone who walks with wisdom. Interestingly enough, this word for comfort is the root word for a prophet's name. Anyone happen to know what prophet I'm talking about? I'd be surprised if you did. I had to look it up. If you're a Hebrew speaker and a reader and writer, you would know it stands right off the page. Nahum, Nahum is his name. Assyria was threatening death to Judah's people, taunting them and taunting and slandering God. Nahum brought God's word. Okay, I found this on the web for what's threatened to do to people and taunting and slandering God. Check it out. I'm not gonna check it out. That's really creepy. I turned it off. Okay, you know what, I'm gonna, if you try and reach me sometime this morning, can't, that's because I turned it off. But hey, I'm glad Siri's listening to God's word. (laughs) Ah, all right. Nahum, Nahum as we call him, brought God's word to people in a time of great distress. They watched how Assyria obliterated the northern kingdom of Israel. And then city by city, every single city except for one fell to Assyria's malicious wrath, except for Jerusalem. All hope was almost lost. But Nahum brought God's word to Judah to comfort them. It was God's word that brought comfort to his people. And you know what? It was God who literally saved his people from the Assyrian onslaught. One angel came in at night and slayed 185,000 Assyrian warriors. What are we looking to and who are we seeking comfort from? Judah's king, Hezekiah at the time, couldn't save them from Assyria. But Israel's one true king is the one who saved the day. Anyway, I digress. Look at Isaiah 40, verse two with me. He goes on and says, speak kindly to Jerusalem. Speak kindness upon her heart and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. When Jacob passed away, the forefather of Israel, his name was later changed to Israel, Joseph's brothers had already been assured by their, their brother that he wasn't going to seek vengeance. But that's when dad was still alive. Jacob passes away, and then you realize they never believed Joseph. They were certain he was gonna have his sweet revenge on how they had treated him. They were afraid of Joseph's reprisal because of how they treated him. What was Joseph's response in Genesis 50, verse 21? He says, therefore do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. 
He spoke God's word to them. How do I know it's God's word? Because it's in God's word. It was inspired of the Lord. Side note, not in my notes, but if you're here this morning or you're listening online and you think, I've done too much, the, the reason I'm going through all these horrible things is, you know, because God's ticked off with me. God's, God doesn't have vengeance on his, on his children. God is not vindictive as a father. So if you're going through hardship, it's not because God is finally having his sweet revenge on you for your rebelliousness against him. We have consequences for our sinful choices. But what does he do? He walks through them with us. Jesus came down to earth not to smite us, but to die for us. Incredible compassion. I don't know if teaching from the pulpit comes with a dry mouth, but man, Rick, you're right. I've got dry mouth. He's been talking about dry mouth lately. Have y'all woken up feeling dry? I, I have recently. I'm like, I thought this was Washington. Oy vey. He spoke kind words to them. He spoke kind words. God's word, though, is not just lip service. It's just not information in noise that travels through the air. God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is what literally spoke the physical universe into existence. That's God's word. How was he able to reassure his brothers, to comfort his brothers, to speak kindly to his brothers? Because quite frankly, if you know anything about Joseph, the fact that he was able to forgive them, and not only that, but to bless them, that is, a, that is the love of God. It is unconditional. How did he do it? 2 Corinthians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Five, Bible students, the number of grace. How was Paul able to bring comfort to his brothers and sisters? Because he'd gone through afflictions also, and it was actually through the suffering that he found comfort. If you're suffering right now, as many are, that might be exactly God's intended plan to take you into the suffering. That's a paradox. It seems contradictory, but hang with me. We'll get there in a minute. Let's go back to verse two. At the end of it, it says, double for all her sins. What, is, what does he mean, double? What does God mean by that? The phrase double for all her sins at the end of verse three could mean, it could mean that God matched Judah's sin equally, tit for tat. You do this, I got you covered. You do it over here, I got you covered. However, and this is what I believe, it could also mean above and beyond. It's not just we sin and his grace just covers it. We sin, his grace covers it. His power covers our, our weakness. His compassion and mercy forgives us of our wrong. It's not just, this is not even. God's not, God doesn't play fairly. Think about this. We make a wrong and he abundantly and beyond covers us. What do I mean? In other words, an abundance of compassion and forgiveness. I tend to believe that God doesn't just, just cover us. 
His, his living water doesn't just cover the surface of our sin. What does he say? His, our sins go to the bottom of the ocean, to the very depths. It's a deep place. I believe that when God loves and God blesses, it's not just to the line. It's abundantly beyond. His comfort is beyond. It drowns out the pain, the anguish, the sadness. His blessings spill over the edge. Why do I think that? Because his word says it. John 10, 10, Jesus said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Can you imagine God filling up your glass and you say when and he keeps going? When, Jesus? When? When? And he's like, oh no, I'm just getting started. Pretty soon you go from drinking the glass to swimming. (laughs) That's a picture of his blessing. This isn't feel good talk, this is God's gospel. Job. 42, I'm gonna quote there in just a second. When God restored Job's wealth, you wanna talk about suffering. I think a lot of us, many people who know anything about Job have gone to the book of Job. How did he handle suffering? What was it like for him? Note, God never answered Job why he went through it. Job never got the answer this side of heaven. There are many things we're gonna deal with. We're never gonna get the answers that satisfy our intellect. And Jesus even said to his guys before he left, there are many other things I want to tell you, but you cannot bear them. We think we're ready to know, and we're not. And he knows that, and so he doesn't overwhelm us with information. He comes to give us revelation of who he is. There are questions my kids ask Cam and I, wanting to know, are we gonna do this? When are we gonna go? How did that work? And we'll answer them to a point, but then they keep asking because it just doesn't quite fully make sense. And I tell them what I've told our students for years. Right, Cammie Bristow? Waffo. Just wait and find out. Wait and find out the goodness of God. Some of our students treat it like a curse word. Jake, when are we gonna be done with this? Waffo. What does waffo mean? Waffo means waffo. Wait and find out means wait and find out. When God restored Job's wealth, how many sheep, how many camels, how many yoke of oxen, How many female donkeys did Job have before his incredible suffering? We, (laughs) you all know where I'm going with this. In the beginning, he had 7,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camel. He had 500 yoke, AKA 1,000 oxen, but 500 yoke and 500 female donkeys. At the end of his suffering, to which he never gets an explanation why he went through it, God restores him abundantly. Job 42.10, the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. This just stood out to me. Out of Job's four friends, three of them were not very friendly to him. And what did Job do? He prayed for them. Are there people who do not understand what you're going through? Are you suffering right now and there's no logical explanation and people have prayed for you and you're still dealing with it and so they go, well, there's clearly something wrong with you. There was nothing wrong with Job. What did Job do in response to his friends, to their accusations? He prayed for them. That is a sign of a righteous person. Anyway, verse 12 says, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. 
he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys, and a partridge in a pear tree. God just couldn't love his son enough. In Isaiah 61, 7, the Lord promised to restore Israel a double portion in their land. And as our brother Les likes to refer to the Amplified, I'm going to. Ephesians 3.20, Les already knows exactly what I'm talking about because he's got that book memorized. Now to him who is able to carry out his purpose and do super abundantly more than all we dare ask or think, infinitely beyond our greatest prayers, hopes, or dreams, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory. Here's your next point. God's word comforts abundantly. I won't go get into it, but there was a night, I was still living at home in my 20s, and to this day, I don't know if it was a dream or if I was awake, but it was pitch black in my room. I think it was a dream, it was weird. <laughs> There was a woman who was quivering, terrified. I asked her, what's wrong? What's wrong? And her eyes shifted up. And all of a sudden, I'm in my room, and I don't even see it with my eyes, but I see it in my heart, if that makes sense. There's this shadow looming in my room, and it was overwhelming. This really happened. How it happened, I don't know. And it got so terrifying, I lacked the ability to even use words. And I realize she's terrified because there's this looming darkness that seems overwhelming. There's no hope. I felt all of a sudden fear beat me about the head and neck. I didn't know how. I felt, have you ever felt hopelessly crazed in fear where you're so terrified you're like a chicken with your head cut off? That's how I felt except I was stone cold in bed. Little kids, you know what that's like? If I don't move, the monster goes away. Well, I couldn't move because I was terrified, and I started to cry out to God, and pretty soon as I prayed in my spirit, he opened my mouth, and you know what's funny? There wasn't this massive flash of light and a supernatural booming, none of that happened. But I was filled with such comfort. I can only explain it to you, but if you've not experienced it, you won't know exactly what I'm talking about. I prayed and cried out to him, and you know what's funny? I remember that presence still being in the room, but it was like I could give a rip. I could care less because his comfort was abundant. Think about that. Why was David able to go stand face to face with Goliath? He walked with perfect confidence. Why? Because he had comfort in his heavenly father. Who were we putting our comfort in? God's word comforts abundantly. Isaiah 40 verse three. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and let every mountain and hill be made low and let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He spoke his word from his mouth. Jesus says, out of an abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. 
we Bible students know this prophetic promise was fulfilled hundreds of years later through a man we know as John the Baptist. Matthew 3.1, now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's this close. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. The king is coming. The king is coming. Are we ready? Are we too wrapped around the axle about what's going on in our present world that we're not getting ready to introduce, to welcome, to join the king? You and I wouldn't typically think of an inhospitable desert as a place of comforting romance. Ah, but that's where we're wrong. But God promises this to Israel in Hosea 2.14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her, bring her out into the wilderness and speak kindly to her. I remember when my wife was in Israel for nine months and she got to go, they, they had a little respite and they got to go uh, camp out in the desert. And for those of you in the Navy, you've experienced this in the military where you've been in a place where there is no light pollution and no air pollution. You see the stars. It is awe-inspiring. It's not hard to imagine why Abraham looked up at the stars when God said, your descendants will be like this. And he went, oh, I believe I remember my wife saying, <clears throat> now I come from a place that's pretty hot and arid, Bakersfield, California. There's also lots of pollution. She'd never been in a desert like this, and she said, oh, it was so peaceful. And it wasn't the kind of quiet that is loud. It was the kind of quiet that you just kind of melt a puddle into. God intentionally takes his people out to an inhospitable place. He leads us into an inhospitable place so he can supernaturally comfort them, comfort us with his love and provision. Where did God lead the Israelites out of Egypt to? The wilderness. Now they were there a lot longer than he wanted them to be, but even when that first generation rebelled, did he leave them and go, Fine, poo on you. Whatever happens to you, that's your problem. No, he stuck with them because even when we're faithless, he's still faithful. What did he do? He provided for them. Their sandals, their shoes never wore out. Their clothes never got holes. They had sweet bread to eat all their days. And they had quail coming out their nose. They had an abundance of God's provision. Think about this. And that's your next point. God's word comforts us in unlikely places. We don't see the spiritual realm. We can understand it through eyes of faith, but again, our understanding's limited. Not even Satan knows what's going on. He thinks he does. But only God is the one who has a perfect view of everything, orchestrating and moving pieces where he wants. What we're going through is not outside of God's sovereign will out of his infinite power. What if, what if what's happening right now is actually intentionally moved by God's hand? And he's doing it to draw people out to him. He takes us to a place where we realize, I have nothing. I've got nothing. And he goes, 
Now you understand. Can you hear me now? Lord, help me. I was waiting for you to ask. And not, Lord, help me. And these other things, can you also help me? It's God and nothing and no one else. God's word comforts us in unlikely places. Verse six, a voice calls out. Then he answered, or literally, then I said, what shall I call out? All the flesh is grass, and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. I'm gonna repeat that. But the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Behold, the Lord God will come with might, with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. I mean, I could do a teaching just on this. These last 10 months have not been what we would naturally think would be God's plan. Let us not forget, it was God's plan to take Judah into Babylon. And he told them, he stressed it, do not resist. Look, <laughs> there are consequences for our sins and decisions, and we have to embrace those. But are we doing it with him? Are we submitting to him? I'm not telling you that what we're going through as a world is because God made it happen. It definitely happened, though, with his provision. What is God teaching us through it? Are we going to his word? Are we listening to his spirit through it? He can't bless those who won't depend on him. Some of you parents have kids who have moved away or have kids that maybe uh, have gone prodigal. You know what I'm saying. How can I bless them when they won't receive me, <laughs> when we can't be together? Guys, it's the same for us. How can our Father bless us when we won't depend on him, lean on him, be with him, dwell with him? In these fragile times, what have we leaned on to sustain us? Verse eight tells us that God's word stands forever. His word. Think about the things that you think are pretty secure and concrete. Things that you have trusted in. I'm looking at a lot of people who have lived some more life than me. Think in your life, what are the things in your past that you've trusted in or depended on and they they ended up not being fully trustworthy. Or you depended on them and they couldn't hold up over time. God's word stands forever. What are you leaning on? Who are you trusting in? That's not God's word. Whatever and whomever, I promise, I promise, it won't last. Why? Because God's word lasts forever. Uh, it wasn't too long, I think it was this last year, I remember um, struggling with something, I don't know what it was, and um, I went to Cam, and I was talking with her. 
actually. I was complaining to her. And it was a hard thing. It was a good thing, though. She said, Jacob, I want to be here with you. And she's been with me now over 10 years. Thank you. Especially for people my age, that's pretty unprecedented. I've never had to question my, my wife's loyalty to me, but it's because my wife is trusted in God's word. So when I came to her with burdens she couldn't answer, you know what she did? Jacob, have, have you prayed to the Lord first before you came to me? I was like, yeah. He knows my heart. Jacob, I'm here for you, but please, before you dump on me, dump on God. My wife can't carry my burdens. She can carry them with me. But Jesus, he's the one that brings us healing. We are depending on so many things and people that can't bear up under the weight that, we, that we're wearing. Why? Because no one and nothing else was ever created to do so. Only God can carry our burdens. All that said, our confidence and comfort are proportional to what or who we depend on. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that I don't depend on my wife for anything. No, that's not true. <laughs> but at the end of the day, and Rick has shared this with you, when, uh, when his wife Cheryl was struggling and there was a chance because of an infection that she might not turn the corner, she was in ICU, he was just at a loss. Lord, what am I gonna do? And the Lord said, wait a minute. Who gave you life? Who do you depend on? Who died for your sins? Who's the living word of God? Who is the king everlasting? Who is the Lord of lords? And it was a turning point for Rick. He really, you know, God does things. In this season, there have been things in my life I thought, you know, I've got my struggles, but these over here, those aren't, those aren't my weaknesses. God sifts me, and I go, ooh, I guess that is in my heart. How do we respond to our Father when he exposes our weaknesses in our flesh? Do we take his discipline with rebellion? Or do we receive it like sons and daughters of God? Our confidence and comfort are proportional. They are equal to what or who we depend on. If it ain't God, it can be shaken, and it will be shaken. Sooner or later, it won't be standing anymore. Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest king the world had seen, had this terrifying vision of this statue Many of you, all of you know this. And the statue was made of different materials representing the major kingdoms, powers of human history. And then all of a sudden, a rock from a mountain cut out not with human hands crushes it, turns it into chaff, dust particles. And then, like a threshing wind comes and blows it away, never to be remembered again. Alexander the Great, never to be remembered again. COVID, never to be remembered again. Because only God lasts forever. He is his word, and his word is him. Anyway, all the kingdoms and everything we live in right now, it's gonna be shaken. So just remember that when our politics are messed up, God promised it would be. What are we finding our comfort in? Isaiah 40, 11. I want to read this one more time. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Sheep find comfort in the flock. And I would say this to anyone who listens to this later. 
especially young people. That's what's really broken my heart is in this season, I've seen a lot, a lot of young people who aren't showing up to enjoy fellowship with his church, whether it's here at the bridge or elsewhere. Young people I see in the crowd, I won't call you out by name. I just want you to know you are a blessing to the rest of us. Sheep find comfort in the flock. That's not bad. However, comfort from the flock is because of the shepherd. I have heard many times of young people, again, this isn't in my notes, so maybe this is from the Lord, who are struggling and reeling with pain and frustration. And I ask, well, when's the last time you had fellowship with some of God's people? When's the last time you showed up to worship your father together with your people and to learn from his word? Well, it's been a while. But we don't find our comfort from the flock. That's the other problem we've seen in this time. People are looking to the government to bring us peace and comfort. People are looking to their churches to bring them peace and comfort. I said something back late August, early September that could be controversial to some. Your hope is not in the church. Don't forget that. I think that's why a lot of people have grown hopeless in the church because they put their faith in the wrong thing. They tried to find comfort in the people of God, forgetting the fact that the comfort the people of God have is from the comforter. It's the shepherd who creates the environment for the flock to walk in comfort and rest and ease. Without the shepherd, there's no food. Without the shepherd, there's no safety. Without the shepherd, there's no rest. There's no comfort without the shepherd. In that same awe-filled, overwhelming power of God, is the tender gentleness of a shepherd. Gathering his sheep, it describes him gathering his sheep, carrying them in his bosom, up to his chest, the closest he can get them to his heart. God's word is the source of comfort. There's a reason all of my points say, God's word comforts, dot, 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 because it's his word. We will not find lasting comfort in anyone or anything else. God's word is the source of comfort which supplies us and each other. When you receive and live in God's comfort, then you have something to give to your fellow sheeple. <laughs> we are sheeple. Some people are like, sheeple? I'm like, yeah. What are you, a goat? <laughs> you let God's word distinguish what I meant by that. Anyway, when the church in Thessalonica were troubled, Paul a shepherd, an under-shepherd himself, gave them God's word for comfort. When he couldn't be with them, what did he give them? God's word. And he urged them to do likewise. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, therefore, comfort one another with these words. I'm giving his word to you, now you give it to each other. We get comfort being in his flock, but the flock gets it from the shepherd. Next point, God's word comforts us like a shepherd. Psalm 23, four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. That sounds so sweet, and it is, but think about it. What comforted David? The rod and the staff. What instruments of the shepherd comforted David? The rod. Huck! <laughs> the shepherd... Gotta yank you out of that mud pit again. 
But Jesus isn't a bad shepherd who goes around whacking his sheep. What is that rod primarily used for? To ward off wolves, bear, lions, oh my. It's also used like a cattle prod, in a sense. Fortunately, they didn't have electricity back in those days. Okay, <laughs> no one got that. Anyway, you prod, you tap. And I think a lot of us know this, but in case you didn't, shepherds back in those days, and maybe today, I don't know, when a lamb, a sheep, continued to stray away over and over and constantly jeopardize its life and sometimes the life of others, you know what the shepherd would do? Break a leg. Go break a leg. Don't tell a shepherd that. <laughs> okay? <laughs> What's this for? That's the comfort of God you feel in your leg. Anyway, comfort from a rod. He would break the leg, and then what would he do? He would carry that sheep. That sheep would be the closest one to him while it healed. And when it was done healing, that sheep stuck to his side closer than a German shepherd. And the staff, which guides and directs us. Parents, side note, you've heard it said, spare the rod, spoil the child. God has not commanded us to beat our children. He's commanded us to discipline our children, to raise them up in the discipline of the Lord. And for all of us, if you feel like you're getting taken to the woodshed by the Lord, instead of kicking and screaming, receive it in humility, he's probably trying to teach us something. Isaiah 40, verse 12. We're gonna go through a lot right here, so get ready. Jake's actually, actually gonna kick into high, high gear. He who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span, that is the forearm and the hand, what we would call the cubit, marked off the heavens by the span and calculated the dust of the earth by the measure and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales. Who has done all this? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or as his counselor has informed him? With whom did he consult and who gave him understanding and who taught him in the path of justice and taught him knowledge and informed him of the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. What? That doesn't sound very loving. Continue on with me. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare with him? As for the idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. This is directly speaking to the people of Judah at the time. He's not waxing eloquent. He's getting pretty literal with this. He goes on in verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. 
Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. But God, but he merely blows on them and they wither. And the storm carries them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the, the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. We also read in the scriptures, not by power, not by might, but by the spirit of God. That's not up there. It's not on my notes either. Sorry. Toward the end of Isaiah's prophetic ministry, there was a king who rose to lead the kingdom of Judah. He came to power. He was different than those kings before him. We read in 2 Kings 18. Now it came about in the third year of Hosea, who was the king of Israel up in the north, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David, his forefather, had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah, which were wooden poles, just referenced here. The poor people who don't have money for gold and silver, what do they do? They find a good piece of wood that won't rot and they make an idol out of that. That's a reference to Asherah. Verse six, for he, Hezekiah, clung to the Lord. Clung. This king of Judah clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And Jesus, we know, says, if you love me, keep my commandments. How can you do that if you're not dwelling and abiding in his word? The refreshment we need for our souls will come by the power of his spirit, which is also, he is the one who inspired the word we have in our hands, the word and the spirit. It was during King Hezekiah's reign that Isaiah wrote this. Isaiah lived through a number of kings in Judah, but Judah had turned to other kings. They sought refuge in political alliances and countries, and they lumped in these other countries' idols into in next to worship of the one true God, and it hurt them. Why? Paul tells us that worshiping these things, you're really worshiping demons in disguise. You're literally welcoming in evil. Why would we be surprised when evil falls on us, when we entertain evil? What do you entertain yourself on? What are you entertaining that's not of God? It will hurt you, it will. The Lord points out here that he's above all the things Judah had looked for comfort in. He's above it all. What are the things you look to soothe and comfort you? Let me just ask a more poignant question. What idols have we put up in our lives that we seek comfort from? Oftentimes, and I realized this several years ago, it wasn't that God's people, Israel or Judah, totally stopped worshiping him. It was that they put alongside God other gods. It was God and. I love God, but I also love this. He is the Lord, and he will not share space with anyone else. He's a jealous God, and he has right to be jealous of us because he made us. 
Psalm 121, verse one, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains, which is where they were erecting these Asherah poles and idols. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's so ironic. Judah was busy building things on their mountains to worship where the very one who made the mountains was in the midst and watching over them. We like walk through life, Matt, God, I'm hurting. He's like, well, why don't you just look to me? Why don't you open your ears and listen to me? Spend time with me. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, whoever's in power in America, right, wrong, indifferent, God has allowed it and it's under his sovereign plan. Remember that. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. I shared this with uh, my in-laws. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, comes to God and he's talking about the ills of his people in Judah. There's all this injustice, wickedness. God, please, where are you? (laughs) If you're all powerful, all loving and all knowing, why aren't you doing something about it? God, please, bring justice. Cleanse the land of wickedness. And God answers him and says, I am. And Habakkuk goes, how? Babylon's gonna destroy you. Hang on, God, I don't know if you actually heard what I just said. God knows, God heard. He said, I'm gonna use Babylon as an instrument of my justice. And Habakkuk now is just dumbfounded, flabbergasted. He goes apoplectic, but, 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 but God, but God. <laughs> Thank you. And he goes, okay, this is beyond me. This doesn't make sense. How are you gonna use more wickedness to bring justice on the wicked? I mean, we're bad, but they're way more bad. And he goes, never mind. I'm gonna stand my guard on my post. Beginning of Habakkuk chapter two, verse one. And he says, and I'm gonna wait here for your reproof. I'm gonna wait for you to correct my understanding. You are, because at the end of the day, what Habakkuk feels and thinks is contrary to what God says. So Habakkuk has a choice. Am I gonna lean on my own understanding, Proverbs 3, five through six, or am I gonna acknowledge God with all my ways, even when it doesn't make sense? Fortunately for Habakkuk, he depended on God beyond what he could understand. And God was true to his word. He carted him off to Babylon. But it was also through that that God glorified himself, not only through the likes of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, later on Esther and Mordecai, But Nebuchadnezzar, that wicked man, actually turned to God. One day, we will stand in the kingdom of heaven and hug Nebuchadnezzar. There are things beyond our understanding. That's why he says, let my word comfort you. Do not depend on your own understanding. What idols in your life need to come down so you can finally look to his comfort? What are the idols in my life that need to be torn down? Here's your next point. Our idols blind us to his comfort. Oh yeah, I turned off my phone. Does anyone know what time it is? 
10 o'clock? Okay, good, I'm almost done. Our idols blind us to his comfort. In Isaiah 30, 15, Isaiah reveals God's heart for his people. I'm gonna paraphrase it, to just relax and rest in him, and you'll be saved. But they wouldn't repent, and they refused to rest in him, to be saved. They wouldn't quietly trust in him for his strength. So the Lord tells them in in advance, for all your strength, speed, and ability, the ones coming, they're gonna overpower your strength. They're gonna run you down. They're gonna cut you down. But God doesn't leave and end the story there. Isaiah 30, 18, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. He's not up in heaven like this. Huh, won't do it my way? Fine. He's like this. Jesus is praying for his church. He prays for us. He longs to be good to us. But we can't experience it unless we come under his authority, unless we look to him, unless we dwell and abide, keep his commandments. Jesus said, blessed are you if you do these things. Not if you read these things, not if you study these things, if you do these things. Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? He says this throughout Isaiah 40. Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. Encouraging? If you're tired, you got a dad who's not. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. And to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Hmm. Let me ask you a question here. First of all, it says those who wait, literally those who hope in. And there's an active waiting. Physical therapists, doctors, medicine today has realized when you get opened up, when you go through surgery, you don't just sit there and wait for it to heal. It's called active rest. They start immediately getting you to move as quickly as they can within safety. Jesus didn't say, okay, just sit there. Don't do anything. I'm gonna do it all. Just sit there. Hope in him. Actively wait. I've shared this analogy before with our students, I think, here. There's two, there's two farmers. Both of them are in their living room looking out through the window over their crops, and they both cry out to God, please send the rain so that my crops will grow. One of them, after he's done praying, puts a blanket on, watches a Hallmark movie, and looks over his shoulder waiting for the rain to come. The other one goes out, and after asking God for the rain, begins to prepare his, his field to receive the rain. 
He still has to wait on God, but he's so trusting in God that he's gonna take action. Do we look like we're waiting on God? How does our life reveal that we're actually hoping in him? Are we praying for him to bring the latter rains and then acting to prepare ourselves to receive it? Are we, are we actually anticipating his grace? Food for thought. <clears throat> when your car gets low on gas or parts wear out, do you park it and let it sit for a week or maybe a month? Mike, when, when your car is out of gas and the parts are falling apart, do you just park it at your house and leave it there for a year and then come back to it and expect it to run? Of course not. Mike's a diesel mechanic. So why do we think if we get more sleep or remove outside stresses, we'll get filled and we'll be able to fix what's broken inside of us? Man, he has reminded me of that over and over. That's how we treat oftentimes our bodies, our lives, our souls. I'm worn out and we think we're, we're, we're gonna do all these things so that we can get sleep because sleep gives rest. I'm not gonna take a show of hands, but I think uh, many in this crowd know more sleep doesn't mean more rest. So let me explain something to you as I'm rounding out the teaching tonight, this morning, whatever time of day it is. <clears throat> I came in, into the office this Thursday worn out. I was worn out, guys. I had someone I was gonna go meet <laughs> spend time with. I blocked out two hours to go spend time praying, talking. And I thought, oh my goodness, this is the only thing I know I have to do today. I'm so tired. I got nothing, Lord. And then I get a text from Rick. Long story short. Hey, bro. How do you feel about covering me this Sunday? <laughs> Put on a happy face. No. I'm like, honestly, I'm like, well, my brother's tired. You're all tired. How can I say no? I mean, I can, and he said, you can say no. <clears throat> and I told him, I'm totally willing. I'm glad to do this. Um, and thank you, Ava, for encouraging our brother to reach me sooner than later. <laughs> Saturday night, Jake, I need you to cover for me tomorrow morning. <clears throat> We're gonna read in Genesis chapter one and we're gonna read all the way to Revelation. <laughs> and I shared with Rick, honestly, I'm here, I'm just letting you know I'm tired, I'm wiped out, I feel like I got nothing in the tank. I wanna go through a certain passage in the Bible, but that doesn't seem to ring true with my heart or what I see our brothers and sisters needing to hear. And then Rick mentioned two passages. I'll only mention the one because it's what's poignant for now. He brought up Isaiah 40. And I found that profound and ironic because earlier, Tuesday night, when I was teaching our students, that was one of the first passages, references, that I gave to our students. And it, stu it stuck with me. I read that, I was like, oh, that feels so good. And then Rick brings it up again. My heart stood up in me. That's the one. I went into the office wiped out, like a knuckle-dragon Neanderthal, got nothing in the tank. And then I cried out to God. I prayed, by the way, on the way to the office that morning because he has convicted me, Jacob, there are all these things that you think about, you worry, you concern over, you stress out over. How many of those things do you talk to me about and keep talking to me about them? You got no problem chewing Cam's ear off. 
why don't you chew my ear off? Because you can't. <laughs> and so I, I was taking him on his word, and I got into the office. I didn't feel better. Then Rick texts me. That certainly didn't make me feel better. No offense, bro. I hope you're resting in bed, bro. <laughs> you need to be back here Wednesday, right? Right, people? Yeah, amen. <laughs> All that said, you know what Rick gave me that comforted me? God's word. My father blessed my heart from his heart. I came in with nothing, and guys, I haven't gotten a lot of sleep since then, just because it's been hard for me to get good sleep. And physically, I felt tired, but something happened inside me, and I'm telling you, honest truth, God is my witness. It's like my heart stood up inside, and all of a sudden, I felt energy that wasn't there. It was not there. <laughs> and it started at first like it was bubbling, and then it was just pouring out. And it didn't stop. And it was because the Spirit of God, his fountain was busting loose inside of his son to fill me up with joy, to comfort me. Don't worry, son, I've got it. Just teach my word. And don't worry about trying to give them a great word. I just want you to receive this. Let me teach you. You feed on my word. And whatever you get from me, share some of that with them. So honestly, what I'm sharing with you is just a personal Bible study I had with God. Psalm 119.50. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your word has revived me. Here's your last point. God's word of comfort revives and renews. God's word of comfort revives and renews. So I want to end with this. I'm ending, so if you know me, that means we've got about 10 minutes while I end. Rest on his word. I know it's a simple thing, but when you actually experience it, it is profound. Rest on his word, and you will, I promise you, experience his compassionate comfort. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. John 14, verse one, I'm gonna go ahead and turn there because this came right before I came up this morning to teach. Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Don't believe about me. Don't believe things of me. Believe in me. And in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. King James Version renders helper as comforter. Parakletos, God comes alongside us. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 61, verse one, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, he's consecrated me, He set me apart to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. In Luke 4, 18, we see the Spirit of the Lord fulfill his promise literally, personally. Are you sad and brokenhearted? If you are, it's okay. Doesn't mean you're not a godly person. Doesn't mean you don't trust in God. 
He has comfort to, <laughs> he has come to comfort you and me if we will receive him. Luke 4, 17, the book of the prophet Isaiah, what we're reading from this morning, was handed to Jesus. And Jesus opened the book and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. We think, go give money and, and aid and give them a house to the poor. Jesus says, first give them the gospel. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. Do you feel oppressed? To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were upon him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. The word of God has come down to us personally, to personally comfort us. Let's spend more time in his word and experience the comfort that comes from him. Luke 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid to the shepherds. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Would you pray with me? I pray, Father, that your word of comfort would continue to comfort us today. That the things that you've spoken to our hearts, we would hold on to them. That we would cling to them the way Hezekiah clung to you. Your word is not something, your word is someone. That's you, Jesus. And so we call out to you, we cry out to you, word of God, fall fresh on us. Breathe your spirit through us. Blow through the caverns of our soul. Renew a right spirit in us. Renew our thinking and help us to depend on you, acknowledge you, live by the inspiration of your word. If you're listening to this, know that there's a God who loves you as a child. So repeat this prayer after me. If you want God's comfort and you have not personally surrendered to him and invited him to be the, the Lord, literally the master of your life and the savior of your soul, then repeat these words after me. Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice. You put to death my penalty that separated me from the Father. And I confess my sins to you now. And I accept your forgiveness because I trust in your word. Give me your words of grace that I would live by them and share them with others. And Jesus, we thank you. Help us, like you told your people in Isaiah 40, to go out and preach the good news, to bring a word of comfort. Help us to get ready because you, Jesus, the King, are coming. Help us to get ready for that. In your name we pray these things and trust you, amen.